This morning, we are going to begin a new series of messages that are going to be based out of the book of John. We're going to preach through the entire book of John. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, this is one I've been praying about for a while, sort of resisting, uh, because John is, it's, it's a big book. It's one of the, the bigger books in the Bible, in the New Testament anyways, and I thought if we start this thing, we've got to finish it. Um, the last time we started a big book in the New Testament was the book of Revelation, and we got maybe about halfway through, and then I can't remember what happened. Um, that was like a pandemic, yeah, that happened. <laughs> Um, And so we kind of paused, maybe someday we'll actually come back to the book of Revelation, but I felt like this, this is a time for us as a church community to slow down. Ben preached an excellent message last week on the importance of rest, the gift of rest, the challenge of rest. We need to rest. We need to take deep breaths. We need to begin to readjust uh, the rhythm of our life to Jesus' rhythm, to the rhythm of the Spirit. And I thought, what a, what a great way to do that, um, but to actually begin to study a particular book that's in a way going to force us to slow down. It's not something we're going to do like that. It's not going to be four weeks moving on. Um, in fact, if you outline the book of John, uh, it takes about 60 weeks to hit all the particular subjects. And that's not like one verse a week. That's like half a chapter a week, something like that. So I'm hoping that by studying the book of John, it's going to help us to really slow down. For some of you even, um, this could actually help you to get a bit rooted. Something about life, life in the city for sure, that's very, um, that lends itself to a frenetic kind of lifestyle. I mean, life is is busy enough wherever you live, unless maybe you live in a cave someplace out in the countryside. Life is just hectic. And it feels like now more than ever, ironically, everything's just very, um, it's like there's this sense that we should be getting something done like yesterday. And if we don't pick up the pace, life is going to pass us by. We're going to miss the opportunity. We're going to be passed up for the promotion. Somehow, we're going to miss God's very best for our lives. And that's just not true. In fact, when you read the Gospels, maybe the exception of Mark, because that's a pretty fast-paced sort of fast-paced kind of way of telling the story. But as we read the Gospels, even Mark, we're walking with Jesus at a virtually snail's pace. To be sure, the context is an ancient time and no one was racing around in cars or on freeways. Even the big cities were slow. Everyone wrote and walked and did things at a very uh, sustainable pace. And I want us to try that. I want us to to see what life might not feel like if we just walked with Jesus at his pace. So that's the hope as we slowly work through the book of John. For some of you, it might mean 
wow, does that mean I have to like stick around for what, a year plus in order to like complete this journey? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's kind of the point, part of the point is that we would all be given a challenge. So yeah, let's, let's go on a journey together. Let's walk with Jesus. Let's take a long walk with Jesus together. And if you don't get what you came looking for this morning, if you don't get that sort of like, man, that was just, that was it. My life has changed, I'm done, moving on. If you don't get that this morning, let's, let's meet here again next week. And then let's do it the week after that. And as we go deeper into the story, you'll find that, man, there's just all of these tensions and unresolved questions, and, and it's like we're, we're being compelled to go on this journey that's going to last much, much longer than a couple of months. And that is so good. That is good for the human soul. So there, there's the vision. This, this is what I'm hoping for. Not only will we meet Jesus and hear the gospel and experience uh, who Jesus is, how he's calling us to live our lives and experience new life in his life. But we'll do that in a way that's, that's really like this, this, is, this is a sustainable rhythm for life. And let the world pass us by. Let it go spinning out of control into anxious oblivion. Always slow down and walk with Jesus. So let's go for it. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word, excuse me, let's start over. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Let's stop there. This is what you call a theological candy shop. John just comes right out of the gate, just 
just a, a whole, just, I mean, the number of words and categories and symbols and metaphors that he just sort of like throws out onto the table. It's like a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. And he's like, there it is. And half the pieces are still concealed. And you've got the other half with like little bits and pieces. And you can kind of see an eyeball there and a word there and a picture there. And it's, it's all kind of there. But John has just set it up for a, a thousand piece journey. The corner pieces are pretty easy to find. The word became flesh. Light, life. Darkness, truth, grace, because that would make it like a hexagonical jigsaw puzzle. But there's certain words that certainly stand out that John is emphasizing. But man, what, a, what an array of, of ideas that he puts out before us. We're not going to cover them all this morning, but we'll certainly get there as we go along. What is John doing? What is he saying? Well, there's a few things that I think we have to highlight. Number one, John is writing with a very clear purpose. He knows his audience, and he's working very hard to build a bridge from his world to theirs. Even the the fact that he uses this um, word, word, in the beginning was the word, it's the Greek word logos. That's a specific term that he's using in order to connect with his uh, Greek audience, his Greek thinking audience. Um, in that ancient world, logos uh, would have been understood to be the rational principle by which all things were made and exist. So if you sort of go back, maybe do some Googling, some Wikipedia of sort of first century Greek thinkers, you'll quite quickly come across the Stoic philosophers. Had certain categories of thinking, and one of them, one of the main ones was this logos, the rational principle by which everything exists and of which is the essence of the rational human soul. As far as they were concerned, there was no other God than logos. So John begins by appealing to this category in the Greek thinking mind. And by the way, you may not be aware of this unless you've taken like philosophy 101, which I'm sure many of you have, but we are very Greek in our thinking. We think in sort of platonic categories. We're very dualistic in our thinking. We, we view the world through this sort of Greek philosophical lens. Not so much so as like the first century, obviously. But this sort of way of thinking, it's still, there's, there's a residual effects of this Greek world of which we are a part of 2,000 years later. So he's building a bridge to the Greek mind by using words like word. He's doing what the Apostle Paul did brilliantly in Acts chapter 17. There's a a famous sermon that the Apostle Paul preaches in Athens, sort of the epicenter of Greek philosophy and life, and he goes to the Areopagus where all of the philosophers would gather and debate and discuss new ideas and ways of thinking, and Paul shows up, and speaking to the Greek philosophers in Athens, he says this, 
What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He's not a human construct, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul's saying, listen to me, I'm telling you this impersonal, rational principle that you think of as God, he has a name and he wants to know you. And his name's Jesus. John's also connecting some some words that the Greek thinkers would have understood with the story of God itself. He's not just speaking Greek to Stoic philosophers, he's actually connecting some dots. He's building that bridge. For example, in Psalm 33, six, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. There's this concept that already existed in the story of God, the Hebrew mind, that it was by God's word when he spoke, the creation came into existence and John's building this bridge to say, you, you have a category, you sort of have a way of thinking about this and I'm telling you, this is the God who in fact did create everything that existed, only he's not this abstract principle that humans created or thought up. He's real and he's come to be close. He's entered into creation. I'm here to introduce you to the one. So he's building this bridge and he's using these concepts and philosophical categories to bring his audience, us, on a journey with him. Now we can't overlook the most obvious word that John uses that he appeals to to tell us this story. In the beginning, in the beginning, John is retelling the origin story of God. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, that's okay. That's okay. We're going to go on a journey together. I promise you, by the the time we get to the end of John, you're going to have learned a few things, maybe even a few Greek and Hebrew words along the way. In the beginning is an obvious reference. It's like a hyperlink back to page one of the story. Genesis chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. John's taking us right back to the beginning. He's saying this is the origin story, I'm retelling it. What he's doing is setting up the plot. John is about to retell the story of God, not just creating but recreating the world through this thing that he's done through this word who became flesh, this light who entered into the world, this creator who's become one of us. Now we haven't said anything about Jesus so far. John's not mentioned Jesus. 
It's made reference to a guy named John. And we'll get to John next week. But John is retelling the origin story. In Jesus Christ, God is recreating the world. And this is the story of God overcoming darkness. What is this darkness? Let's talk about darkness. I love um, Kaylee. Your, where did Kaylee go? Is she in the, the cry room? Um, she has a real love, I was gonna say obsession, maybe obsession, for th- all things pumpkin related. I love that. Um, I empathize. I bought my first pumpkin pie on Friday. Praise God. <laughs> is it just me or does it feel like pumpkin pie is a totally valid like breakfast meal? Right? It's pumpkin. It's like a, it's like a vegetable of some sort. A squash. It's healthy. Yeah. There's a darkness that exists in our world. On a day like today, it's a bit of a bummer to, to bring it up. It's a gorgeous day. It feels great in here. All I really want to talk about is like hope and joy and life, beauty, adventure, being God's beloved sons and daughters. But there's also a darkness that exists in the world. We don't have to drive very far down the street at all to see it. It's everywhere. You can feel it. You can smell it. Depending upon where you're at any given time of the day, you can literally see it manifesting in people's lives. There's a darkness in our world. What do you think about this darkness? What is this darkness? How are you experiencing it lately? I love, um, we attempted to watch Lord of the Rings last night. Failed, I lost my Lord of the Rings DVD. Should take up an offering. Mm -hmm. Tolkien writes, talking about Gollum's rings. Gollum, Gollum found the ring, murdered, stole the ring, and then went and hid with it in the depths of the misty mountain and for 500 years it poisoned his mind. Tolkien writes, darkness crept back into the force of the world. Rumor grew of a shadow in the east, whispers of a nameless fear. What a picture of darkness coming into the world. This dark thing, this ring that poisons minds, it just exists has an origin story of its own, but it affects the world around it. It infected Gollum and eventually would pass on to Bilbo and then Frodo, and, and you, if you've seen the movie, or better, if you've read the book, which I've told you before, I was re- it was required reading in order to date my wife. <laughs> Grateful for that. But it poisons the world around us and it's this sort of mystical, abstract, spiritual, but very real thing. No one denies that evil exists. You know, I've shared the gospel, tried to share the gospel on every continent in the world, except Antarctica. Penguins don't need the gospel. 
And I often ask people what they think about God. Do you believe God exists? It can be the great start of a conversation. Many, many, many people will say, I don't believe God exists. And you might be sitting here thinking, like, I don't, I don't even know if God exists. Please don't out me. Don't worry, I'm not going to out you. Raise your hand if you're an atheist. Okay, I'll talk to you that. You could. Um, you could be. You could be an atheist. In fact, I hope we're the kind of church where if you're like, hey, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. Go ahead. Keep talking. Okay. There's a lot of people who have serious doubts about the existence of God. Very few people will deny the existence of evil. They may not like that word because it creates this sort of like moral category, but if you just keep talking long enough, no one denies there's something in the world that's dark, that's sinister, that's evil, because you can see its effects everywhere. What is this darkness that's creeping in the world? Whispers of a nameless fear. Paul, the one who preached the Areopagus in Athens, writes in one of his letters saying, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Bible actually makes no apologies when it talks, speaks of the existence of evil. And I put it in air quotes because it's like, again, it's, it, create, it conjures sort of like sort of moral categories that people have problems with. Fine, I get that. I totally get that. But whatever you want to call it, the Bible speaks plainly about it and makes a no, no apologies about the fact that evil exists. There's an evil out there. It's a presence. It's a darkness and it results in death, loneliness, shame, and despair. And it's what we wrestle against. Not people, not other humans, but this, this spiritual force of evil, these cosmic powers, this present darkness. It's an evil with a will, with, an, with a volitional, with volition, who acts willfully in the world. Darkness is where shame breeds and isolation flourishes. Jesus um, will go on to say later in the Gospel of John that when light came into the world, people rejected it because they loved darkness. Because darkness is where we do our dark deeds. And we've all done dark things. We all have things that we've done and are ashamed for, ashamed of. Things that we don't want anyone to know about. And even me bringing it up can kind of feel like, oh, don't, don't go there. Like, I'm going to feel ashamed. I'm going to feel condemned. I don't want anyone to feel ashamed or condemned. But when we start talking about light and darkness, we have to remember that actually... Darkness isn't merely an abstract force out there. It's something that we are actually a part of. At some level, in some way, we're all culpable of the darkness that exists in the world. There's things that we've done that we're ashamed of. 
The idea of being found out, of coming into the light is terrifying. And so we want to keep those parts of our lives hidden and in the dark. And in that place, in that way, shame breeds. And isolation flourishes. Darkness is where human beings end up without hope, alone, and in despair. Weighed down by the shame that they carry with them through life. Terrified that who they really are might be found out. That's darkness. It's that feeling you get when you thought you were just about to get caught. Have you ever, have you ever been almost caught doing something and all of a sudden you feel that like adrenaline surge through your body? You're like, oh my gosh, like I almost got caught doing something that I would be really, really embarrassed of. Maybe you almost got caught in a lie. You almost got caught, I don't know, I don't, I don't wanna get too specific. I could tell you some of my own stuff and you guys would get super uncomfortable. You know, the reason why sometimes I like to actually talk very plainly about my own sin is because I want as a church family to foster a culture of vulnerability where we have permission to confess our sins to one another. I also don't want to be inappropriate and make the pulpit my personal confessional booth and start just like lobbying shame bombs on you guys. It would just be totally inappropriate. But occasionally, I'm going to say some things and I hope you guys will say some things that just make everyone uncomfortable around you because it is uncomfortable, but that's how we expose our shame to the light. When we say, you know what, I'll go first, I'll confess. I would rather hide, but I don't wanna live in the dark because that shame is crippling. I wanna be known for who I really am and hope, hope, that there's grace enough for me anyway. The darkness. There's the darkness out there. There's the darkness where shame breeds. There's the darkness inside 2 Corinthians 4, verses six through seven. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a darkness that exists in our own hearts that God wants to shine his light into. He wants to shine his light in our hearts and in our church family. How do we overcome this darkness? So this is all very abstract. We're talking about darkness, we're talking about shame, we're talking about loneliness, we're talking about evil, and on and on and on, and, and it's just the reality, there's this stuff in the world, and it's why people end up living in a pit of hopelessness and shame and loneliness and isolation and, and self-pity and, and reaction, and, and on and on and on, and it's why we drop bombs, and it's why we get divorced, and it's why we abandon our children, and it's why we build lives founded on greed and materialism, consumerism, and self-preservation instead of living like Jesus, and that's the darkness in the world. But here's the more important question. How do we overcome the darkness? Because John tells us that the light shone in the world and the darkness did not, could not, will never overcome it. And this is where hope lies. 
This is where the story really gets good, that we're not just being exposed to the light of God shining in all the dark places of our world and our own hearts, but that God is inviting us to follow him in this journey of freedom. And as he shines his light into the world, we can trust that his light is greater than any darkness out there or in here. And he invites us to overcome the darkness just as he's done. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins, okay? Let me, um, I want to draw something for us. So in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, the world was without form and void. Here's a couple of Hebrew words. Okay, I've taken several Tim Mackey courses, prepare to be impressed. Okay. Tohu, vavohu. Without form and void. Without form and void. That's where God begins. A world that was without purpose, without order, without beauty, and void. It was the great nothingness. It was pure darkness. And it said that darkness was hovering over the deep. The deep is where the chaos lives. It's where the, uh, the lack of beauty resides. And it's this picture. The ancients would have known exactly what the picture was. It's the deep waters. That's where the chaos That's where the formlessness and void existed. And we're told that darkness hovered over the deep. So that's the picture. In the beginning, there was tohu and vohu. Formlessness and void, which was the deeps, and darkness was over the deep. And the spirit, the ruach, hovered over the waters. Here's the spirit. You like my dove? That's not easy. (laughs) Darkness was over the waters and the spirit. Darkness was over the deep and the spirit hovered over the waters in the beginning. Where is the spirit? Right in the middle of the darkness. Where does God continuously, over and over and over, show up in the story? In the darkness. Creation, the spirit, is in the darkness. Incarnation. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. 
in the darkness. We're told that out of a dark land, a light shone. This is what Matthew quotes, Isaiah 60, when he begins telling his story of Jesus and his gospel. He was born late at night in a manger, an animal stable in a dark place. Crucifixion. Jesus lives and goes public and teaches and heals and demonstrates what life looks like as a human filled with the Spirit, the Son of God. And finally, his whole ministry culminates in the moment when he's being crucified. And it says, on the hour that he died, darkness covered the land. Darkness and crucifixion. Resurrection, we're told that it was at the crack of dawn, the sun would have just been peeking up over the horizon that the women who followed Jesus came and found the tomb empty. It was in darkness that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's in glorification that the darkness will shine again when Jesus returns. We're told that it'll get darker and darker and darker, but the darkness cannot overcome the light. How do we overcome the darkness? Well, I don't think there's a formula. I'm not even going to attempt to be like, okay, here's here's your three steps. Get ready, write this down. That would be just mean and lame. And to do absolutely no justice to the story. Here's what I will say. As we're living in our world, our city, our lives, Moments will come where you feel like, man, everything is dark around me. The darkness is closing in. What have I done wrong? Where have I misstepped? Why does it feel like Jesus has left me behind? Everything is dark around me. They're tagging the building. They're breaking the windows. I'm yelling at my kids way too much. My marriage is the hardest stinking thing I've ever done in my life. And it's just, just dark, it's just dark, it's dark, it's dark. Now I'm confessing. Sorry, no, I have a great marriage. But can I be real? Come on, raise your hand if you're married. Is marriage hard? Are there times you think to yourself like, oh my goodness, what have I done to my life? I've entered into the darkness. <laughs> just be real, okay? Marriage is beautiful, it's a gift, it's wonderful. It's where the spirit leads one who ends up getting married. But the spirit is consistently leading people, God's people, straight into the darkness. And every time you're tempted to think, I've obviously done something wrong, God has abandoned me, I've I've, I've probably lost my salvation, I don't even know if God is real because everything is so dark and hard and there's trash everywhere. And I'm struggling to pay my rent and I'm beginning to believe lies. The shame is starting to pile up and the weight is unbearable. Be reminded, be encouraged, know for sure that the Spirit of God consistently shows up in the darkness. I believe, now I'm going to speak in very, very broad terms, so bear with me. But I believe at some level, the church, perhaps it's a Western thing, thinks that God is constantly leading us to greater safety and comfort. Personal security, wealth, etc., etc. 
And when it doesn't work out, we begin to wonder if this whole Jesus thing is even for real. Or we think, I need to correct course, help God, and go move someplace where everything is more comfortable. I need to go someplace where there is no darkness, where everything works just perfectly, relationships are easy, the cash is flowing in, and everywhere I turn, I'm just, life is just grand and easy and, and wonderful and easy. And Jesus is leading his people to the darkness. This neighborhood, our city, the number of times that I've heard it over and over and over, man, our city is just, it's just dark, it's just hard. And I think, I think as a Christian, I should probably just think about like getting out. I should go find some place where there's more people who think like me, more people who um, will affirm my views, uh, my political leanings and the things that I like and that way I can be comfortable because everyone will think like me and I won't have to look at the trash on the side of the freeway anymore. And so we want to like get out of the darkness. We want to find our way out whereas Jesus is constantly showing up in the darkest places, inviting his people, come with me. And wherever you go, allow me through you to manifest the sweet aroma of who I am in that place. Because I've called you to be light. And even as I've shown my light into your heart, now I want you to be a conduit of my light in the darkest of dark places. That's where I'm leading you. So if you're in a situation where you feel like the darkness is closing in all around you, be encouraged, have hope, take heart, don't give up, pray harder. Believe with more courage. Lean into those dark places. Don't pull the ripcord. Don't think that somehow my marriage is too far gone, that my church is, is too debauched, that my city is beyond God's reach. Lean in and say, God, it's getting darker. I don't know how much more I can take, but lead on. And together we charge the darkness in Jesus' name. That's, that's the point. That's the story. Shine. You know, this, is, this will be my final point. It's uh, Thomas. Once you get about halfway through John, um, he begins to zoom in on the various disciples, their stories, the way they're experiencing this, the journey that they're on with Jesus. The disciple named Thomas is famously known as Doubting Thomas. He's the one, even after Jesus came back from the dead and numerous people had like seen him firsthand, he's like, no way, no way. People don't come back to life. Like he, I saw him crucified, he's dead, no way. I refuse to believe it. Unless I can stick my finger in the place where that centurion stabbed him in the side, I won't believe it. And of course, Jesus accommodates the man, and he does just that. Thomas, in John chapter 11, he's the one who says to Jesus, okay, so Jesus has a really good friend named Lazarus. Lazarus ends up dying. Some of his sisters send some people to go get Jesus. They're like, look, if anyone can save this man, 
It's, it's got to be Rabbi Jesus. So they, they send people to get Jesus. By the time they meet up with Jesus, this, this guy is as good as dead. Lazarus ends up dying, and he's dead for four days. Jesus eventually turns to his disciples and says, let's, let's go to Bethany. Let's go look into this uh, Lazarus situation. Um, he's not dead. He's just sleeping. And his disciples are like, Jesus, if he's just sleeping, he'll awake. And Jesus says, okay, no, like you're not. What I mean to say is, he is dead, but he is gonna wake up, okay? Just, just trust me. And uh, they say to Jesus, you do realize that there's some Jewish people who are actually in Bethany looking for you, prepared to stone you to death. Like you do realize what will happen if we go back there, right? And so Thomas says to Jesus, fine. He turns to the disciples and he says, fine, let's go with them so that we can die too. This is uh, John eleven sixteen. Here's the wonderful irony of the story. Thomas, the one who struggles so much to believe, is the one disciple who's closer than any others to the truth. He gets it. He doesn't realize what he's saying, but he gets it. Let's follow Jesus into this dark place so that we can die too. This is how we overcome the darkness. We follow Jesus to a place where we get to lose our lives just like him and so that resurrection life can come to that place. This is how we overcome darkness. Jesus leads us to a dark place until we finally come to the very end of ourselves. Our ego gets beat to death and then we get to experience new life. And this happens over and over and over again as long as we keep following Jesus wherever he might lead us in life. Can we stand together please? There we go. That's John's prologue. Sweating up here. Is it hot or is it just me? Okay. Sometimes I, I start to sweat when I feel like, um, yeah, am I preaching good or is this, where are we at? The journey has begun. We've all got some tohu and a bit of vohu in our lives, do we not? A bit of chaos, some places that feel empty, some darkness, some deep waters. More often than not, I think that stuff kind of manifests uh, the most intensely in our relationships. (laughs) There is no darkness like relationship darkness. When things get hard with the people we love the most, that can get dark real fast. When you find yourself lonely 
riddled with shame, terrified that you're going to be found out, that's, that's some big time tohu. Little vohu as well. Here's the challenge. As we set out on this journey, walking with Jesus, are we prepared to follow him into the darkness? Are we ready to embrace the reality that if we follow Jesus long enough, he'd be like, hey, let's go to Bethany. There's someone there who's dead and I want you to go with me. It might cost you your life, but it's there that we're going to experience new life together. Are you ready? Are you down? Are you willing? Because there's gonna be a lot of opportunities, a lot of off ramps, a lot of exits, a lot of alternatives, a lot of teachings, a lot of books, a lot of, lot of other ideas out there. But at the outset, God says in the beginning, I said light and light shone in the darkness and the darkness, darkness has not overcome it. Will you follow me there? Will you follow me? Let's charge the darkness together. Church family, now I'm talking to us, Grace City, Portland. Will we charge the darkness together? When our kids' ministry is kind of like, ah, it's not really happening. Will we retreat? Will we shrink back? Will we go find another church? Will we find just an easier alternative? Or we say, let's lean in. Let's trust Jesus like we've never done before. Let's go invite our whole community. Heck, I'll invite my neighbors. Let's tell the city that Jesus is alive and he's doing something in a dark place. He wants to shine in your heart just like he's done mine. I was once a child of darkness as well. Come with me into the light. I know it's terrifying. I know it's much easier to live in the dark, but come. Let's be exposed to the loving light of Jesus together. Because shame cannot survive in the light of God. Darkness cannot overcome that light. Father, help us. Help us to be your people, full of courage, compelled by your love, ready to follow you, even if it means laying down our lives. Lord Jesus, you help us. Would you reorient our vision for what true life looks like? Lord, that we would lose our lives and find it in Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.